today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. that God does, and man, why did that happen? I I wish that every one of us would never ask that question, why? I wish that every one of us in in every aspect, in every portion of our life, when something came our way, we'd just say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, some people, and you know, they say that's the way they live their life, and if that's really true, man, that's amazing. But I think most of us, at least for a moment, have that. Why? I don't understand this. Until we can get to that point of saying, thank you, Jesus. I don't understand it, but I thank you because I know you're in control. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you've asked God why? In his message today, Pastor David will reassure you that most people will ask God this question. It's easy to doubt God when things don't go according to your plan. The truth is, you are not in control. He is. Instead of questioning the Lord, try thanking Him that He has your life in His hands. There are usually circumstances you are not aware of. Lean not on your own understanding, but on the sovereign Lord of all creation. Now here's Pastor David in the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles as he continues his message, A Second Viewpoint. There in chapter 13, we move along, we read again of the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Uh, now, by this time, David is king. And they, they come to the point in understanding, said, man, we need to get the Ark back from where it was dropped off after the Philistines got rid of it. We need to get it back now. We need to bring it into Jerusalem. We read that through that whole situation, the death of Uzzah as he touched the ark and David's fear and even David's anger towards the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question right here, right now. We're going to take a little sidebar here for a moment. This is just between you and I, okay? Nobody's looking around. You ever get mad at God? Yeah, I have. I got mad at God, and I went for about three and a half years on a, on a wild journey in my life. This is after I was a Christian, after I'd been in ministry. I got mad at God because he didn't answer my prayer the way that I had wanted him to. And it was a pretty significant thing within our family. I mean, it was a major deal. We don't have time to get into it tonight. But, man, I got mad at God. I walked away. The great thing was is the patience of God. Amen? And... He, he just kind of reeled me back in a little bit at a time, just taking a little bit of tension off the pole, reeling me in a little bit at a time. He brought me back to himself. Whenever I read things like this, David feared God and he was angry both at the same time. There's stuff that God does that we don't understand. There's stuff that God does that, man, why did that happen? I, I wish that every one of us would never ask that question, Why? 
I wish that every one of us in, in every aspect, in every portion of our life, when something came our way, would just say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, some people, and you know, they say that's the way they live their life. And if that's really true, man, that's amazing. But I think most of us, at least for a moment, have that. Why? I don't understand this. Until we can get to that point of saying, thank you, Jesus. I don't understand it but I thank you because I know you're in control. But guys, don't ever try to fool yourself into thinking that you're something that you're not because the enemy will use that against you. I would rather be honest before God. Say, man, I failed when I didn't trust you in that, Lord. Forgive me and strengthen me rather than pretending to be something that I'm not. David felt fear. He felt anger towards the Lord. Then in chapter 15, the realization comes to him that, wow, you know what? The reason all that happened is because we didn't do it right. We didn't move the ark according to the Levitical requirements. And so he calls for the heads of the families of the Levites together to prepare themselves, to sanctify themselves, and to get prepared for that move. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look down in verse 12. He said to them, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. David had prepared uh, actually a, a tent, another little tabernacle kind of a thing there in the city of Jerusalem, and that's where they were gonna bring the ark to. So this time they moved the ark. They moved it with great celebration. They moved it the correct way. They moved it with great sacrifices along the way. As it came into the city, it was placed into that tent that David had prepared for it. And look down in verse 28. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with sounds of the horns and with the trumpets and with the cymbals. They were making music with stringed instruments and harps. So all of Israel was there. They were excited. They were praising the Lord, everybody except Michael. Michael, who was Saul's daughter that David had married, and then it was taken away from him, and then he had to go get her again. Chronicles simply, simply tells us in verse 28 that Michael, David's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David whirling and playing music, and she despised him in her heart. As I said earlier, not all the detail uh, is, is given in Chronicles. As a matter of fact, we have to look back and just for this one, do, keep your place there in Chronicles 15, but flip back to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. We actually read there a little bit more of what was going on and what was happening. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, down in verse 20, says, then David returned to bless his household. And Mike, this is after they brought the ark in. David now goes to his house. And it says, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father, 
and all of his house to appoint me ruler over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, there's a whole lot of discussion about David's dance. Was it appropriate? Was it inappropriate? What all was going on there? Again, that's not really the question or the point at all. There seems to be something more that's going on here. Perhaps a jealousy on Michael's part, again, as to why her father or someone in her father's family didn't get to enjoy that victory. Or simply, there is this domestic battle that's been raging between Michael and David since, again, she was taken from him, then he had to go and bring her back to himself. Nevertheless, it says that Michael, the daughter of Saul, didn't say the wife of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Maybe that was just simply because her and David never came back together again. We don't know. As they dedicated the ark, once again, there was a great time of rejoicing. And and again, they had dinner on the grounds. Uh, David gave uh, everybody a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. They had, you know, uh, all day supper on the grounds uh, at that point in time. They had the worship band there. They had the singers, the cymbals, the stringed instruments, the horns. They rocked the city that night again and praised to the Lord. And and even at that that time, in that point in time, David wrote a psalm that uh, he gave to Asaph, the worship leader. Leader. Uh, the song is pretty long. It's there in chapter 16. We're not going to read it all, but I, I want to take a look at a couple of highlights in this psalm that he wrote. Now, this psalm is not only here in First Chronicles chapter 16, but you're also going to find portions of it throughout the psalms. So uh, again, the, the, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful declaration of praise and worship to the Lord. First Chronicles chapter 16, look down in verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God and his judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant, catch that, remember his covenant forever. Beloved, that understanding of the covenant is so powerful because that is the promise of God to his people, but that's also the promise of God to you and I when we come by faith to Jesus Christ. He says, remember his covenant forever, the words which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. Look down at verse 23. Oh, sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the peoples, his wonders among all peoples. Who are, let me stop right here. Who are the peoples, church? 
It's, it's not Israel. It's the pagan. It's the unconverted. It's the Gentile nations. He says, Israel, because of what God has done in your life, let the unconverted know. Sing praise. Declare those things. Because of the greatness of God, Israel, you need to be the evangelist to the pagan world around you, to the unconverted. Beloved, this is the same word I believe that he gives to you and I because of the greatness of God, of what he has done in our life. I believe that we have that same responsibility to declare his glory among the unconverted, his wonders among those who are lost. Why? For the Lord is great. He's greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. Verse 26, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Beloved, when you and I have that kind of an understanding within our lives and when it's blossoming and when it's growing and when it is on fire, how can we even keep from declaring his greatness and his goodness to those who have absolutely no foundation and no hope. And their lives are desperately lost, desperately lost. Down in verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, amen, and they praised the Lord. I think that there was a pretty neat praise service that night, that day. You had the whole band there. You know, they got the cymbal players. They got the string players. They've got everything going. They've got the voices going. And now all the people are joining in, praising Lord. Well, in chapter 17, we read how David had this immense desire to build a temple for Jehovah, the Lord God of Israel. And yet we find that the Lord was going to actually build David's house. And that's the promise that God says to David, I know that you want to build my house, but I've never asked anybody to build me a house. I've I've never asked anybody to build me a temple or anything. What I want to do, David, is to build you a house. And I want to build that house of David as a kingdom. And again, Nathan now comes to David with the word of the Lord. Look at chapter 17 in verse 10. And again, David speaking. He says, I tell you that the Lord will build you, David, build you a house. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. Wow, he didn't even say Saul's name. Did you catch that? I'm not going to take my. Uh, I'm not going to take it away from my mercy away from your son, the way I did, you know, with that other guy, without even saying his name. He says in verse 14, "I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever." What a great promise. 
I want to build God this brick and mortar thing. And God says, well, you know what, David? I'm going to build you a heritage and a kingdom of men following after you. Chapters 18 through 20 actually speak of David settling the land, conquering some additional enemies that surrounded Israel, just kind of cleaning things up, tidying things up, bringing peace into the land. And it included with this final destruction, actually, of the family of Goliath. Look over in chapter 20, verses uh, 4 through 8. We won't take time to read it. But again, right there it talks about, again, these giants that were finally uh, taken out. Now, that didn't remove all the giants from the land, but that did remove some of the major ones. And as a matter of fact, uh, it talks about uh, in verse 5, there was a war with the Philistines and Elaham, the son of Jair, this is one of David's men, killed Lami, the brother of who? Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam, and the brother of Goliath. And so that whole family there that they took out. There's one other note about the battle in this chapter, which we actually see earlier on in chapter 20, verse 1. I just want to back up a moment. In chapter 20, verse 1, it says that it happened in the spring of the year, at the time kings go out to battle, that Joab led out the armed forces and ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Then it just kind of goes on with the story. Does that, do those words sound familiar to you? Yeah, they sound very familiar to us. Read very similar things in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, but there's something left out here, isn't there? When we read that story, Joab, he went out and defeated the enemy, came and got David, says, hey, David, we defeated the enemy. Why don't you come on out as the king, kind of clean things up? And it's a great little story there in Chronicles, but uh, whoa, we're kind of leaving out some things here. What happened to Bathsheba? What happened to Uriah the Hittite? What happened to Nathan coming and sticking his finger in David's nose and saying, thou art the man, you're the guy? Are they trying to make David something that he's not? No, again, it comes to the understanding. No, Israel knows their background. They, they know the sin. But the whole direction that we see here is the declaration of God's faithfulness. It's simply the chronicler's way of staying on the track of of God's blessing and how God used David for his kingdom's purpose. Uh, David wasn't allowed to build the temple through all of this. God is going to give that opportunity to his son Solomon. David had the opportunity, though, to save up and to get all the preparations, get all the material and the finances for it. But it was going to be Solomon that built it. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5, David declared, The house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. Why? Because it was going to be a representation of the greatness of God. So Nathan, the, Nathan, the prophet, told David that although he had that great desire to build it, it was going to be his son, Solomon, who would actually build the temple. And so David actually explains this to his son, to Solomon. Look down in chapter 22, verse 8, as David is speaking to Solomon. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you. You shall be, who shall be a man of rest? 
and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son. I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. David repeating what Nathan had told him earlier on. Now the balance of the book, First Chronicles, that declares pretty much some of the, the spiritual work, the, the division of the priests, the, the, the worshipers, where they were to be and what they were to do, the gatekeepers, their responsibilities, who was going to take care of the treasuries of the temple, as well as also speaking of some of the military and some of the tribal divisions throughout the land. As David continues on to age, he becomes less able to lead the country, Solomon, his son, had been uh, anointed, placed uh, as king, and David gives him the plans. He gives him the instructions for the temple, and the people are then called to support the work, and Solomon takes his rightful and his promised place as king of Israel. Then we move into uh, 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles, we see Solomon asking God for wisdom. You remember that great prayer. He wanted wisdom above all things. We read it back in 1 Kings. And the Lord granted that wish, that wish for wisdom. But remember, God also granted him great great riches and, and, and influence within the world. As king of Israel, Solomon begins showing and taking power over all of the land. He now has the opportunity to begin building the temple because they're not fighting all of these people. Remember, his dad pretty well cleaned things up and quieted things down. Now Solomon can focus on the building of the temple. They can furnish it then. They can bring the ark into, uh, it's now it's permanent, it's, it's home base. The holy of holies there in the temple. The worship after they build the temple is absolutely magnificent as they come to dedicate the temple. Look over in chapter five. In chapter five, down in verse 13, we read, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And they lifted up their voices with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music. And they praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever that the house The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. What an awesome, amazing time that had to be. That had to be the thing that old men years later would say, man, I remember that day. I remember that day. And you could have been a child at that point in time and you could say, I remember that day how the glory of God just filled that temple. It was heaven on earth because heaven came down that day. Well, Solomon followed up all of this with words of encouragement and and words of challenge to the people, his prayer of dedication, all of the sacrifices that were offered up to the Lord. Noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. 
From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.